we come today to um, the second uh, sermon uh, in our uh, New Year series about um, finding a confident faith in uh, uncertain times. And we certainly know that we live in uncertain times and that we need a confident faith for that. Uh, last week we began looking at that way. I think we should when we live in uncertain times out of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, which tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, that's the focal point for uh, managing all the challenges that might come uh, to our faith, to our life uh, as we live in these uncertain times. Now today the uncertainty that I want us to think about together is uh, the uncertainty of, of our own confidence uh, that we might have in trying to live the life of a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ uh, in the culture in which we live today. And the issue is this, you know, how can we have confidence to live as a follower of Christ when we face so many temptations and so many opportunities to fall victim to sin. And then that leads to another question, and that is, when we do succumb to, to sin, and we fall, and we do something sinful, what happens to us? You know, some people have this idea uh, that Christians are people who never sin, they never fail, they never stumble in their spiritual life, or they shouldn't. And if you do, then you're labeled as, as a hypocrite. You know, I, I like the bumper sticker and the saying that you've seen in other places that say Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. We're forgiven. We're sinners saved by grace. And there's two categories of sinners. You're either a lost sinner or you're a sinner saved by grace because we're going to sin. That's just our nature. We're going to sin. So we'll talk about that issue as well. Now the other extreme of this issue of people thinking that Christians should never sin if they're truly Christians, the other issue of that, I think they've vast extreme case of that is that there are those Christians who say because of God's grace in their life uh, they can say and do anything they want to because God's grace covers their sin and they take their grace they take that grace of God that he offers as a license to do anything that they want to do now it is through God's grace that we're saved uh, but God's grace in our life is never intended to be taken as a free pass to willingly, knowingly, and habitually sin and think that there are no consequences to our sin. See, there's some people who think that, you know, the more you sin, the more God's grace comes into your life. Uh, read in Romans 6 what, what Paul writes about that. He says, you know, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, no. Uh, if we're in Christ, we have died to sin. So God does provide that grace for us, but it does not give us a, a license to do whatever we want to do and then say we're covered by the grace of God and I can just be forgiven. We haven't heard on video from um, our shallow Christian with deep thoughts in a while, and we found a good video. I think uh, we'll speak to you today as you look at this, okay? Part of being a human is making mistakes and giving in to our sinful nature. But God has called those of us that are born again to a higher standard, where we strive for perfection in our daily life. Christianity is all about the struggle to follow the perfect example of Christ, because if a Christian makes a single mistake ever, they can never go to heaven. Our salvation is based on our ability to work really hard and become perfect. There is no magical grace that will forgive us if we mess up, so we must be careful to never, ever sin. I, for instance, haven't committed a single sin in 12 years as a Christian. Wait, 
Is that bragging? Oh man, I'm guilty of pride. I better go get some sunblock. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. I know those things are said in jest. That's not true, okay? I just give you an idea of some people's perspective about this whole issue about Christian life and sin. Bottom line is, you know, uh, from this past week by experience, you know, you sinned in some kind of way. You know, you, you either lost your anger, you said something you shouldn't have said, uh, you know, you got impatient with somebody, you know, and, and, and it can be a, a multitude of things. But we know that we're going to sin because we are not perfect. Norman Cousins is quoted as saying that history is an accumulation of errors. And uh, I think through every aspect uh, of our culture, uh, there have been um, stop gaps of some sort made to deal with the problems of mistakes and errors. I just did a little Googling about mistakes, errors, and cover-ups and all of that. Just found a few interesting things i share with you. In 1972, the newspaper, the New York Times, uh, became the first newspaper that would carry a daily little box about corrections that they had had to correct from the previous day's issue. Um, how many of you have ever had an error in your bank account, that the bank did make some error on your bank account? Anybody ever had that to happen? I read about a couple by the name of Randy and Melissa Pratt living in Pennsylvania. They made a deposit of $1,772.50. The bank made a mistake. It showed up in their account as $177,250. Well, instead of reporting that to the bank, they withdrew the money and went to Florida. When the authorities finally called up with them, the guy said, hey, you know, we just thought it was God's grace gift to us. That didn't get them off the hook either, okay? Uh, we got any knitters? Anybody here knit? Got some of those anywhere? I was amazed that when our, our youngest daughter, Sarah Lynn, was at Anderson University, she and several other girls uh, started knitting. And every time you know, you'd see them, they'd be sitting around just knitting and that. Well, I learned something about that. I think you, you make a mistake, you drop a stitch or something like that. But the other thing is that they realize, you know, you're going to make a mistake somewhere in that. And you had to learn, there's a little safe, safe, fail-safe thing called, you had to unknit it. Um, well, you know, in, in our life, we need that same kind of process. We need something spiritual, a spiritual unknitting process, because we're all going to make mistakes at some point. And how do we unknit that? How do we go back and deal with that? And then there comes a bigger issue, and that is, when I do sin, when I do fail, when I do stumble, what does God think about me? And see, that creates some, some doubt in the minds of a lot of people. And that gives them uncertainty. They don't, they're not sure about the relationship with God because they've done something wrong. And you see, that, that definitely says, if we're not sure how to handle that, how that um, how that uh, affects our relationship with God, then that can lead to uncertainty. I want us to look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37 is a, is a good psalm. It uh, talks about uh, what God has done, and then it talks about, he, the, the psalmist says, I've been old, I've been young, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. But there are two key verses that I find in verse 23 and 24 that talk to us about this issue, if we understand these words correctly. I'm reading from the NIV. And, and the scripture says, if the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now, that's in the NIV. So I looked at several other translations. New King James says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. 
Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Uh, the English Standard Version says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when, when he delights in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his, his hand. Uh, and the New Living Translation says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Uh, no matter what translation you read it from, I think that these words are a source of encouragement to us. That when we do stumble, when we do fall, and this is directly related to is speaking about God's children. You as a believer in God, part of his family. And now today, long years after this psalm was written, we're Christ followers. Because we've had Christ to come and to be that ultimate sacrifice to be our Savior for our sins to be forgiven. So the issue here then is, what does it mean to have our steps ordered by God? Well, just looking at several verses of Scripture, uh, we can find these truths. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Probably many of you have it marked in your Bible. Most of you know it. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. And the rest of it says, He shall direct thy paths. See, our steps are directed by the Lord. This also means our steps are guided by the Lord. Psalm 48, 14 says, For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. And then our steps are led by the Lord. Psalm 25, 5 says, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Now, we have to understand that those words are for believers who are in relationship with God. That's how we can claim that. Now, as we look at these two verses in Psalm 37, uh, in verse 24, I want you to notice the word, though. Uh, though he stumble. Uh, though he falls. Some translations say, when he falls. Notice that David does not say, if he falls. So if you're saying if he falls, that's a possibility or a probability. But when you say when he falls, then that's speaking about a definite act that's going to occur. Now, which one of those applies to our spiritual life? Is there the possibility that we're going to fall if we should fall? Or is there the reality that when we fall? It's when we fall, right? Because we're all going to be guilty about doing that. And, and what David is saying is that he understands in, from his own life and the life of others that we're going to fall. We're going to stumble. So how do we maintain our confidence in a relationship with God when we do stumble? Now, I want us to look at three spiritual truths that hopefully will guide us in that. Okay? First one is this. God is in control of the details of your life. That simply means God ordains our steps in life. One of these translations uses the word ordered, and that means simply to establish something on a strong foundation. That's what God does with the details of our life. He orders them. He establishes them on a firm foundation. Proverbs 16, 9 says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. See, God directs our steps. 
And God not only directs them, but he also determines or orders or ordains our steps. And that says nothing ever happens to us by chance, by happenstance. All the circumstances in our life are under the control of God and he ordains them. So we think about that in terms of this new year. We're just, uh, what, 17 days into a new year, 2016. They might be asked the question then, okay, what is this new year going to hold for us? Well, there'll probably be a whole lot like last year was. You know, there'll be some good days and some bad days. There'll be some victories. There'll be some defeats. There'll be days of health. There'll be days of sickness. Hopefully more health than sickness. There'll be some prayers answered the way that we so desperately want them to be answered. And there'll be some prayers not answered the way that we want them to be answered. Some of our plans will prosper. Some of them will not. But remember this, your steps are ordered by the Lord and God is in control of the details of your life so you can take confidence in that in these uncertain times. And then here's the second spiritual truth. God promises to protect us when we fall. I didn't say if, but when we fall. Though he stumbles, he will not fall. See, there's a difference there between those, vast difference. It's the difference between uh, tripping over a root if you're walking on a trail or falling off the edge of the Grand Canyon. If you're walking, say, a trail over here at Sesquipark, Park and you trip over a root, you might fall down. You might skin your knees, but more likely you're not going to get hurt seriously. You're going to be able to get up, brush yourself off, and go on and finish your walk. But... If you get too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon and some of it slips away, Allison and Mike got to see the Grand Canyon on their way back from the national championship game. Allison got a little too close to the edge and Mike was a loving husband, grabbed her from the back and said, come back this way. You know, if you fall off and you go to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, which is about a mile deep, you're not going to get up and brush yourself up all for you. You're going to be utterly, you're going to be utterly destroyed. Well, that's the difference that we're talking about here. Though he stumbles, he will not fall. See, God will not allow us to be destroyed. And the reason for that is, is because nothing, nothing can sever our relationship with him. And the reason for that is because he says he upholds us with his righteous hand. That's not only found here in this psalm, but it's found also in Isaiah when God speaks in Isaiah 41.10. And he says, so do not fear. That's a good word to hear from God in uncertain times. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Those are encouraging words from God in these uncertain times. That to remember as a child of God, as a believer in Christ and following God and living in a relationship with God, you're in his hand. You are upheld by God's righteous right hand. Now, last week we affirmed about the Bible that so much of the Bible was written in uncertain times to assure uncertain people. Well, when we look at the Bible again in this issue today, the Bible also shows us that people of God stumbled. And God wanted us to know that, so he put these examples in the Scripture. He didn't hide them from us. Some of these are people that we call the dear saints of God, but they also had a sinful side too. Adam. Adam fell in the Garden of Eden when he ate of the forbidden fruit. 
Noah fell. Noah was a righteous man, chosen by God to save the, the generations uh, in his family through the flood. Built the ark, but then the first thing he did was have a garden, have grapes, made wine. He got drunk and exposed himself to his children. Abraham fell. He lied about Sarah twice, that she's not his wife, she was his sister. A little technicality there, if you're reading through Genesis, you should have hit it sometime this week or last week, that there was a little distant relationship there about that. Then Lot, Lot, Lot fell when he made his choice to go to Sodom. Moses fell when he struck the rock with his rod, rather than uh, doing what God called to speak to it to get water out of it. Aaron fell when he uh, crafted a, a, a golden calf for Israel to worship. David fell when he got tangled up with, um, uh, with Bathsheba. You know, he committed adultery, then he committed murder, and then all that tangled web of sin took place throughout his family. Solomon, his son then, supposedly the wisest man in all the world, fell because he gave his heart to foreign women who were not believers of God. Elijah fell when he ran from Jezebel because of fear. Peter fell when he denied the Lord three times. The disciples fell when they feared for their lives and hid after Christ had died. Now, why are those stories in the Bible? They're there to simply tell us that these people that we often read about and hold them up as saints of God, they're no different from you and me. They're just ordinary people. They weren't superheroes. They had a relationship with God, but they still stumbled and they fell. They did, they, they did battle with that issue of sin. They're there to, to, to teach us, but they're also there to warn us. So we're to be reminded that no one is above the temptation of sin. And a couple other verses I think we need to consider. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Now, we know that seven is one of those biblical numbers of perfection, and so it's used here, I think, in relationship to us. When a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. I think that's a reminder to us that we may fall again and again and, and have that problem in life with sin, but we don't stay down. We rise again. And Psalm 145.14 declares that the Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. You see, that is something we can take confidence in with God. When you fall, remember this. God never intends for you to stay down forever, and he will not beat you down. He intends for you to rise and to walk with him, and he offers us his grace. And that leads us then to the third spiritual truth that we need to look at today and remember in these uncertain times about the stability of relationship with God. And that's bound up in this statement that says, God does not give up on us when we stumble. See, God does not give up on us when we stumble. Now, there are three things I want to point out underneath that point number three. First of all, God provides grace in our struggle with sin. We talked earlier about there are those sometimes on the extreme edge that they do anything they want to. And they say, I've got God's grace. The more I sin, the more grace he gives to me. That's not the way to understand God's grace working in your life. And what it says is that God provides his grace in our struggle with sin. See, God's grace is what sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sin, capital S, sin. We deal with sins with a smaller S all the rest of our life. And how do we deal with that? Just on our own? No. 
God continues to provide that grace for us as we struggle to walk in holiness. And, and David tells us that because of that, God delights in our way. God doesn't delight in the fact that we stumble and sometimes fall into sin, but because we recognize that and we struggle with that in life, God is pleased with our effort. That's what it means. Those of us who have parents and grandparents, you've watched children and, and grandchildren get to that point where they've learned to crawl and then they learn to pull themselves up and before long, they do what? They start to take those first tottering steps, you know. And it's just so marvelous to watch that little child can take those first toddling steps. We were with Doc and Sarah Lynn the other night. Landry now is 13 months and she's starting to pull herself up. Not going to be long before she's going to start taking some steps. And guess what? It won't be long in that process before she falls. Does she go stay down? No. Now, sometimes when we sin, I think we have this uh, fear that God hates us. And, and nothing could be farther from the truth. We've already affirmed the fact that, that God loves us. He upholds us with his right hand. And so God continues to provide for us that grace in our struggle with sin. If you don't know this verse and you don't know the understanding of it, you might want to write it down, underline it in your Bible and learn it. It's 1 John 1, 9. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, that's God's grace that he provides for us in this struggle with sin. We confess our sin, we repent of it, and we claim God's grace for forgiveness. Now, here's the second thing then to understand about that, about God's love and his grace. And that is that God will not allow our sin to destroy us. Few moments earlier in mentioning some of these saints of God who fell, we talked about uh, Peter, that he denied the Lord. It's interesting if we go back and we look at the conversation that Jesus had with Peter in the upper room. Out of Luke 22, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now think about that statement that Jesus made to Simon Peter. Jesus said it before Peter's threefold denial of knowing Christ. In fact, Jesus said it before Peter made his boastful promise that even though all the others fall away, I will not and I will remain true. Now because Jesus was God in the flesh, he knew the steps. He knew Peter better than he knew himself. He knew the steps that Peter was about to take in the wrong direction. But he had confidence in Peter. And he said, I have prayed for you. He didn't want him to be destroyed. Satan wanted to do that. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He knew the real Peter was the one, not who would betray him and run scared, but who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, Peter was allowed to fall. But Jesus kept him from being destroyed. And God works the same way in our life today. Our sin is not led to destroy us as a child of God. And then here's the third truth, and that is God's love keeps us from ultimate despair. And what does that mean? Well, that talks about to us the assurance of eternal security. It simply means that when God saves us, He saves us forever. 
Um, I don't really like that phrase, once saved, always saved, because I found in, in almost 40 years of ministry, the people that love that are the ones that kind of love that phrase, once saved, always saved, are the ones that like a lot of liberty in their life. Because once saved, always saved. I can do whatever I want to do, and I've got that grace. I'm saved. I can do whatever I want to do. No, I'd rather that we understand eternal security. Because when we understand eternal security, it simply means that we understand the full scope, as much as humanly possible, of God's redemptive love for us and the grace He provided in Jesus Christ. And it simply means that God saves us forever. Sometimes we ask, people ask a question about, you know, so-and-so did this through their lifetime. They made a profession of faith. Were they saved? Were they saved? I think my systematic theology professor, Dr. Dale Moody at Southern, had it right when he said this. A faith that fizzles at the finish had a flaw at the first. A faith that fizzles at the finish had a flaw at the first. It means they probably weren't saved to begin with. But a believer in Christ understands eternal security. And it means that God saves us forever and we understand the scope of God's love and His grace. And we understand Romans 8, 38 and 39 that says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, it tells us that when we're in Christ, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So then, how how do we handle this whole issue then, knowing that we are sinners saved by grace and we're going to stumble? What should be our attitude about that? How do we have confidence, knowing that we have confidence from God to deal with this, and that God does not just get angry with us and destroy us if we come back and we repent? Well, I just want to take you to write this down. 1 John 3, verses 2 through 10. I'm not going to read all of those, but I'm going to point out some things, what John is writing. John says in verse 5, beginning here through 6, he says, But you know that He, that's Jesus, appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in Him is no sin. That's in Christ. In Him is no sin. And then verse 6 says, No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, what does that say to us? That talks about habitually, casually, constantly committing sin and having no remorse for it. And John says, that child's not born again. Not born again. Skip down to verse 9. It says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. And verse 10 says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now you see what what John is saying to us about the attitude about sin? We don't have a flippant attitude about sin so that when we sin, we just say, ah, big deal. You know, I'm forgiven. I'll call on God's grace. I can do it today, go to church tomorrow and repent, confess. That's all I got to do. No, what John says is if you're really serious 
about living a life of, that Christ wants you to live and, and, and working towards living in the life of holiness and being a true dedicated follower of Christ and dealing with the sin issues in your life. Then he says, you don't go on continuing to sin. So, so when you know something's wrong in your life and you're doing that, you do battle with it. Whatever it takes, call on God's grace and his power, knowing he upholds you with his right hand, and you do battle with that sin so you can win the victory over it. So that's the attitude that he says. You do not keep on sinning if you're a child of God. In other words, you feel sorrowful about it. You're remorseful about it. And you don't just say, oh, well, I'm sorry. You truly repent. And to repent means you turn around and you go in the opposite direction. When you're in sin, you're going away from God. You repent, you turn around, and you come back to God. And see, there's the difference between a child of God and someone who's not a child of God. If you're a child of God when you sin, it bothers you. If you're not a child of God when you sin, it doesn't bother you at all. I can do it again. I can do it again and won't affect my relationship with God. I can handle it. You know, I can handle it. That's not what God says. That's why he upholds us with his righteous right hand. I see God does not take delight in our sin, but he is pleased with the fact that we battle the temptations to sin. And when we do sin, that we are truly repentant of our sin. So how do we maintain our confidence in God in these uncertain times? Particularly when we sin, when we stumble. We continue to remember that God knows our struggle. And he's going to uphold us with his right hand. He's not going to give up on us. He's not going to let us go. And all of that is bound up in God's grace and God's love and God's forgiveness. And that's confidence in uncertain times. And it's confidence that I hope that you can claim for this day and for this week. Father, we thank you for your unending love for us, displayed on the cross in Jesus Christ, as you sent him to be uh, the propitiation for our sin, and your marvelous grace uh, that allows us to experience the salvation that you provide in Jesus. Father, we know the reality of the struggle in our life with sin. And so I pray that we will continue to seek to draw closer to you and following you the way you want us to so that your grace is constantly working in our life and that you're pleased with the way that we struggle in this culture in which we live today. And I pray that we will know your love, your power, your grace, and your forgiveness that will constantly remind us that you and you alone are our confidence in uncertain times. And I pray that in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We're going to sing the response song, I Will Follow the Band Leaders, I Pray Singers League. Uh, if you have a decision to make, if you're ready to make a decision public, or you want to come to the altar and pray, the altar will be open. I'll meet you at the table. I'll stand as we sing.